hear me now, but don't hear me later. I'm Kevin Leeson. Think you've got good hearing? I'll be the judge of that. I'm Joe Fulgham. And now for the hearing impaired. I'm Torin Atkinson and this is Caustic Soda! The word here comes The word here. I'm sorry? The word here. (laughs) Yeah, you have to speak a little louder, Sonny. Yeah. The word here comes from Old English heron, meaning to hear or listen, obey, follow, accede to, grant, or judge, which comes from Proto-Germanic hausen, perhaps from pre-Indo-European kus, to hear, which is uh, the root of acoustic. Oh. This is why herons are ear-shaped. So... (laughs) You know, if we want to do a music spinoff, we can always do acoustic soda. There you go. <laughs> the word sound comes from the old French son, meaning sound, musical note, or voice, right. from the Latin sonus, and from pre-Indo-European swano. Mm, swano. Mm. The word loud comes from old English hlud, <laughs> uh-huh. meaning noisy, making noise, or sonorous, yeah. which is from the pre-Indo-European past participle klutos. Oh, klutos. Klutos totally sounds like a Marvel villain. Yes. Yeah. Klutos. Sounds, sounds like one of the Klingon, some uh, place in the Klingon Empire. Oh, it does. Oh, it, from Klutos. I totally Klutos, s- the Klingon music planet. <laughs> it's what we clean our toilets with. Whoever, Klutos. Whoever they are, they're drawn by Jack Kirby. Sure. For sure. <laughs> totally true. Yeah. They've got those two fingers in the middle sticking together in yeah. every single. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The word deaf comes from Old English. Uh, deaf. Exactly mm-hmm. the same. From uh-huh. the pre-Indo-European duv which was used to form words meaning confusion, stupefaction, or dizziness. Yeah, because when you doved into shallow water, you get the clonk on the head, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Fear of loud sounds is called phonophobia. It's also called legurophobia or sonophobia. And it can also mean a fear of voices or a fear of one's own voice. Oh, wow. Which would be wow. a pretty terrible fear to ah, have. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you scream. Just, it never stops. A little Mobius loop of uh, screaming and squealing and fear. Mm-hmm. And surdophobia is the hostility, intolerance, or fear against deaf people, deaf culture, and the deaf community. Not a Mobius loop, a phobius loop. That's oh, right. yeah. That's my pun for the I like episode. it. Sorry, what was the deaf one? Surdophobia? Surdophobia. What's mm. a surd? A deaf person, evidently. I guess so. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about- Sir Dan. Yeah, they are. In case you haven't guessed yet, this is the next part of our multi-part senses series. Yep. We're part talking about three. hearing, uh-huh. also known as auditory perception or audition. You know why the deaf are called certophobia? Or if you're afraid of the deaf, it's certophobia? Why? It's because the deaf can't pronounce it right. It's just supposed to be soundophobia. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think that joke was a little certophobic. <laughs> Amongst other things. Not good either. Hearing is the ability to perceive sound by detecting vibrations, changes in the pressure of the surrounding medium through time, through Mm -hmm. an organ such as the ear. The medium usually being air. So you stick your head against one of those organs in the the hockey arena, or is that... You just hear that at all times? You would certainly hear it quite a bit better. (laughs) Sound! Sound! You can also, a medium also could be water. You can hear underwater. Yep. Okay. Sound may be heard through solid, liquid, or gaseous matter. It is one of the traditional five senses, and the inability to hear is, as we noted, called deafness. When have you ever heard through a solid? Well, I mean, obviously there's there's air in your ear, but you could put your head up to a wall 
and uh, hear and the hear vibration boom, through boom, that. Boom, 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 if boom, I filled boom, my ear canal with like uh, something, that, some kind of silly putty, yeah, <laughs> silly putty, right? Sure, I could still hear the the solid. Yeah, the vibration would pass through the silly putty and get to your tympanic membrane. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go through Ooh, how hearing happens in a little membrane. bit. Yeah, all right. In humans and other vertebrates, hearing is performed primarily by the auditory system. Mechanical waves known as vibrations are detected by the ear and transduced into nerve impulses that are perceived by the brain. Good, good. Good, good vibrations. Like touch, audition requires sensitivity to the movement of molecules in the world outside the organism. Both hearing and touch are types of mechanosensation. Mechanosensation. What yeah. is mechanosensation? Uh, that oh, is, no, that's when you, uh, you know, you have that set of things, the little metal set, and you stick it in your ear. <laughs> What? That's, yeah, that's, that's, that little set. Like the, those little building blocks things? Mechano. No, no, mechano. You know oh, what I didn't, some no, mechano I did, set? I didn't, no, I didn't know. Oh, it's these metal things you can like screw together with like washers okay. and whatnot. Like a bunch of metal and girders. You, and you put engines on them and you can make things move and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Oh. They were real cool. And it was they, kind of the next step up from Lego when yeah, you were a kid, yeah. My parents were too cheap to buy it for me. Yep. Fuck those guys. <laughs> yeah. Mechano sensation is a response mechanism to a mechanical stimuli. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like when you stick one of those things in your ear. Exactly. <laughs> Mechanical yeah. stimuli. That's when so, you step on a tack. <laughs> now, how hearing gets from the outside world into your brain is actually pretty complicated. I've it got- goes all the way down to your foot and then comes back up. <laughs> <laughs> no. There's an excellent YouTube video that has all these uh, 3D models of exactly what's going on and follows it through. Okay. We're going to include that in the show notes for this episode. Go to causticsodapodcast.com to see it. I've kind of taken what that is and I have a description of it, but- It's very weird and complicated, and there's little bits that I'm not mentioning. So go look at this YouTube video to see exactly how it happens. Here's the basics, and the basics aren't even that simple. You got hair in your ear. You do, but that's actually not till right by the very end, actually. So your ear has three parts, an outer, middle... I have have hair on another end as well. Yeah. So let's say I'm listening to a podcast. Right. Okay. Here comes the podcast through the air. Okay. Uh Your outer ear includes your pinna. That's the sticky out part of your ear. Right. right. The fleshy part. Your head, that fleshy part. That's right. like the, the part that kind of angles and reverberates the sound that's, into my that's right. insides. Then the, part there's your, that, the part that Van Gogh decided he didn't need anymore. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Then there's your ear canal all the way into the eardrum. That's the outer ear. So sound will travel down that ear canal and it causes the eardrum to vibrate. Right. So now... <laughs> oh, really? There's ear symbols too? Maybe. <laughs> Sort of. In the middle ear, there are three bones that work together. They're called the ossicles. Ooh. Oh, I know what they are. The hammer, anvil, and stirrup. I love ossicles. The, um, <laughs> they're like... They, you Frozen get them, testicles. Yeah, no, no. You get them, uh, you know, uh, they get the variety. The creamsicle is one variety of the ossicle. You are right that they're the hammer, anvil, and stirrup. However, they are called that in their Latin phrases, which is the malleus, incus, and stapes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm Sorry, I don't speak Latin. I got bit by a dog, got stapes one time. In the middle ear, these three bones are moving on an axis and are caused to move by the vibrating eardrum. Mm-hmm. They then move that vibration through the stapes, which pushes in and out of the liquid-filled inner ear. Okay. So you've got the sound going in, causing that Things eardrum to vibrate, which makes these three bones move back and forth, which pushes the stapes in and out of this little liquid-filled liquid. inner ear, ear. Ear juice, we'll call it. Right. Uh-huh. So in the inner ear, this movement of fluid causes vibrations through a spiral chamber called the cochlea. These vibrations in the walls of the cochlea influence another structure inside called the organ of corti. 
Oh, the organ of Cordy sounds like a D&D thing that right. you can use to like mesmerize people or something. And this right? is, you know, you play the organ of Corti and then, uh, you know, everybody has like fall you pipe. Make, us, make a DC 16 will save. Yeah. The organ of Corti goes all the way through this spiral chamber okay. and it causes tiny hairs in it to move. And those hairs then send nerve impulses up to the brain. So we go, we go from air to like membrane to fluid. Yeah. To, to hairs. To little hairs, yeah. That's why I'm saying it's com- it's weird and complicated. It feels why like there's extra steps. Why do we make steps. it so complicated? Why, di- why doesn't our brain just sit on the outside of our heads and like <laughs> sense vibrations? Well, there's a, I guess because to make this happen, I think you need the liquid for better hearing. And then there's an impedance difference between the vibrations you'll get in air than you will in fluid. And so mm-hmm. this complicated thing is to overcome that to allow you to have the high quality hearing. That's my guess from what I've it's read. Because God made it that way yeah. and stop disputing wow. God's okay. miracleness. All right, I can't argue with that. Okay, so these uh, vibrations that are ca- happening through the cochlea, this spiral that goes up and actually goes down again, mm-hmm. cause the different frequencies of the vi- those vibrations cause different areas of the cochlea to vibrate, which then sets off different hairs which sends off different nerve impulses. So lower frequencies will vibrate closer to the apex of the cochlea, where higher frequencies vibrate closer to the base, and that way you get the differentiation of different sounds. It's kind of ironic that, that the higher frequencies vibrate at the base. Mm. Mm-hmm. Base. From there, the impulses are analyzed in the auditory cortex of the brain. Uh-huh. Curiously, yes. damage to the primary auditory cortex in humans leads to a loss of any awareness of sound, but an ability to react reflexively to sound remains as there's a great deal of subcortical processing in the auditory brainstem and midbrain. What does that mean? What that means is you have this auditory cortex in your brain, which okay. is yep. primarily responsible for figuring out music and mm-hmm. language, okay. uh, speech and things like that. It's also that, an awesome word in Scrabble. Cortex? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess so with, yeah, the, yeah. with the EX in the end. Yep. If that area of your brain gets damaged, you will not be able to consciously recognize that you're hearing sound, even though all that other stuff is happening in your brain, that okay. or in your ear, that the vibrations are going in, your eardrums causing the stapes to push in and out, which is causing those hairs to fire. Yep. So those nerve impulses are going to your brain. You're, your getting, brain, the, you're getting the mechanical thing yeah. going on, but and your you're brain, not And your brain goes, I don't know how to deal with this. And so you don't get a conscious, I'm hearing a sound. But different parts of your brain will actually handle warnings for dangerous sounds. Like if you hear a super loud noise or something like that. Right. And you will get an instinctive, oh my God, what was that? You'll jump. Kind of, you'll jump. And okay. So somebody who's... So deaf- if someone who plays a flute in my right ear, I don't hear them. But someone who's popping bags full of air or balloons on my left, I will go, oh! Correct. Even if the auditory so you- cortex is damaged. So you'll be like, that guy's not deaf. Check this out. Ah! And he jumps. Right. But then you he talk to him and he doesn't understand. It. He's not faking it. What that means is <laughs> his deafness is because of, of uh, damage to his auditory cortex. Rather than the mechanical side. Rather than the mechanical side. Yeah, Got exactly. it. Got it. In the science, I want to talk about hearing loss. Sure. Okay. All right. Hearing loss or deafness may be caused by many factors, including genetics, aging, exposure to noise, illness, chemicals, and physical trauma. I don't see why uh, you know legislators have to get involved, though. You know, what, 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 like, why don't they just, you know... We don't need bigger government than we already have. Hearing laws. Hearing laws. Hearing laws. Laws. What? Just going to pretend I didn't hear that. Uh, (laughs) I predict that's going to happen more than once this episode. (laughs) 
Globally, hearing loss affects about 10% of the population to some degree. It oh. caused moderate to severe disability in 124 million people as of 2004. 124 million in... In uh, the world. In the globe. globe. Okay. On the globe. 108 million of whom are in low and middle income countries. So mm-hmm. there's quite a bit of deafness in those countries. Of these, yet, 65 million... because of all the loud poverty. <laughs> the, the poverty is like deafening. Uh, well, you know what, though? I'm surprised by this because they don't have those Meccano sets to stick in your ear like I've been, <laughs> you know, teaching people to do. Yeah, Meccano is really trying to even things out by making those. Hopefully the well-off kids will stick those in their ear and there'll be more of them deaf. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, it was just leveling the playing field kind of thing. And you know that, that classic when it For says- fairness. When it has the stamp on the front of it saying, do not stick in your ear. We all know reverse psychology, bada bing, mm. bada boom. Ear sticking. And also kids from other countries can't read that. Yeah. So they'll just go ahead. So they don't put them in there. Yeah. Precisely. 65 million of these developed the condition during childhood. Right. Mm -hmm. Deafness is viewed by some in the deaf community as a condition and not an illness. Okay. I don't cover a lot about the deaf community, mostly because it's mostly pointing out that there is one. Right. And that they are a a separate community. And you can totally... Understand that they have their own language. Yep. They tend to all go to school together, so they socialize together. Right. And their lives are not as bad off as you would think because they've got each other. So you've got right. this great community going on. Uh, so that's about all the mention I'm going to do for that. And right. so so they don't see it as necessarily a disability. It's just a condition that they have. I think it's great that they have their own comedy as well. The Deaf Comedy Jam. Treatments such as cochlear implants have caused controversy in the deaf community. Oh. Talk a little bit about cochlear implants later. Causes of hearing loss. Age is a major one. There's a progressive loss of ability to hear high frequencies with increasing age known as presbycusis. Presbycusis. Hmm. Presbycusis. Presbycusis. That's probably what it is. Presbycusis. This begins in early adulthood, but does not usually interfere with the ability to understand conversation until much later. Okay. Uh, I actually have a YouTube video that I'm going to let you guys listen to right now. Okay, Uh-oh. let's do it. Different frequencies become unhearable by people once they reach a certain age, generally. I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions. So I've got some sample tones in the ages. So here's 8,000 hertz. Everybody should be able to hear this unless they've actually experienced some kind of actual hearing loss. Mm, I heard that one. 12,000 hertz. It sure does. Yep. Everybody under 50 should be able to hear that. Uh-huh. 15,000 hertz. Yeah. yeah people, I got that one. Only people under 40 should be able to hear that, and I'm going to admit it, I can't hear that one. I uh, barely hear it. Yeah. yeah. Just barely. No, I heard it pretty distinctly. 16,000 hertz. Yeah, I heard that was the last one I heard, and cannot, it was like- Cannot hear it. Yeah. If you can hear that, you're probably under 30. Ah, I am not under 30. You win the Ah. ear party. Uh Aha. Yeah. 17,000 hertz. Did not hear that at all. Yeah, this means you're under 24. And then 19,000 hertz means you're under 20. Hello, youngsters. So this is- Or people with exceptional hearing above 20. Yeah, there's probably exceptions. This is basically dog whistling for humans. Is what this is. It kind of is, yeah. yeah. Right. And this gives you an example. Dogs can't whistle. They don't have the lips for it. <laughs> We're also going to include the YouTube video for this might as well that I that I originally got the idea from, from ASAP Science, a really good YouTube series about science. Mm-hmm. I've been in a, in a room with people of ages from all the way from 18 up to mine mm-hmm. and seen just person by person drop off. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. And then the youngest person could hear all of it. Right. And it's very odd to think that there are sounds 
that other people can hear that you cannot hear. It's really, really weird. I what about seem the to sounds recall... that we choose not to hear? <laughs> like your mother telling you to clean your room? I have lots of those sounds. I seem to recall that there that people will put young people will put have ringtones in the class that only young people can hear, so the teacher can't hear the ringtones. I believe you could do that, yeah. Oh, clever. Yep. And the reason for this is, remember how I said the sound travels through that cochlea up that mm-hmm. spiral path? Yep. The high frequencies trigger at the base. And what that means is those high frequencies hit those hairs first and cause damage to them first, and they're louder then. Right. So basically, just over time, your high frequency hairs get more and more damaged because they're getting the brunt of the sound that you're getting. So even listening See, to this podcast is making you become deaf. It's true. Uh, so I, I find it um, actually quite interesting that I was able to hear the one that's far under my age range mm-hmm. um, because I uh, I actually suffer from tinnitus. Oh. Well, the thing I maybe know Maybe that's about, what you're hearing. Maybe we're going to talk about yeah, this a little maybe, bit later. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's just triggering my tinnitus. That but I know that tinnitus, uh, like it's only... A certain frequency. So even if you heard like 17,000 hertz, maybe your tinnitus is 17,500 hertz or something like that. Right. Because there's like, I also have tinnitus. Yeah. And it's a different tone in each ear. Oh, okay. So it's that tone that you have trouble hearing when it's coming from the outside world because you have the constant ringing of that tone in your ear. Okay. You got yours from being in a rock band for 20 years? Uh Uh-huh. I got I got mine from going to see rock bands pretty religiously for like you know the better part of twenty years probably. Public service announcement: wear earplugs. <laughs> yeah. Can, can yeah. we just say like if you get those little roll up stick in your ears earplugs, they cost what like two dollars at the no, corner not, store? Not even, not even like that. fifty cents. Two, two dollars for like eight of them. Right? Yeah. Like you carry carry some around if you ever think you're going to be at, a, at like a, a rock show and just stick them in your ears. It sounds perfect. Everything mm-hmm. sounds fine when you're wearing those earplugs, but you're just also not getting damaged. You can even get a, like a one set, like a reusable set for like 10 bucks that they claim they, they don't even lose your dynamic range. Because yeah. those foam ones, you do lose some of the dynamic range, the tops and the yeah. bottoms. Yeah. But you can get these plastic ones that they say all it does is takes it down volume and you don't even lose the dynamic range. Oh, I have a set of those and I constantly forget to bring them with me when I go to shows. Yeah. <laughs> I, so you I, have to put it in the toilet paper. I just, I just my, I let my ears ring for two or three days after a good show. I try to carry some around with me in, in my inside pocket of my jacket all the time. Mm-hmm. Just don't you never go outside. Know. Yeah, that works too. I carry them in my ears at all times. Noise is the cause of approximately half of all cases of hearing loss, causing some degree of problems in 5% of the population globally. Mm-hmm. In the USA, 12.5% of children aged 6 to 19 years have permanent hearing damage from excessive noise exposure. So there we go. Wear earplugs to concerts, kids. This is why you don't shout in other people's ears. Yeah, don't. You always think there's not going to be any one loud noise that's going to damage my hearing. You're never going to notice that one thing. But just over time, concert, 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 each one is going to be wearing away at that hearing that you've got. All right. Genetic causes. Hearing loss can be inherited. Around 75 to 80% of all cases are inherited by recessive genes. 20 to 25% inherited by dominant genes. 1 to 2% are by X-linked patterns. So if my dad went to too many rock concerts, I might be deaf. (laughs) No, because that would not be your dad's genetic cause. Oh. That's not how genetics works. <laughs> Illness. Not, not yet. Not yet. Illnesses. Many diseases can cause hearing impairment or loss from measles, meningitis, mumps, autoimmune disease, chlamydia, and chlamydia may oh. cause hearing loss in newborns to whom the disease has been passed at birth. Our old uh, friend chlamydia. Call back to our 
uh, sexually transmitted, tra- actually transmitted, <laughs> sexually transmitted diseases episode. Yeah. Infections. Yeah. Infections. Fetal alcohol syndrome is reported to cause hearing loss in up to 64% of infants born wow. to alcoholic mothers. That does not surprise me. Because like moms, when they get drunk, they just like yell all the time. <laughs> Especially if they're pregnant, just yell at their belly, shut up, stop kicking. Shut up Take in there. Your shirt just, off. just hammering on the outside of it. Shut up in there. It's like uh, like knocking on the ceiling with a broom. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the kid would be doing. Yeah. Quiet. Trying to get some sleep. Syphilis is commonly transmitted from pregnant women to their fetuses, and about a third of infected children will eventually become deaf. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's also neurological disorders, multiple neurological disorders such as multiple sclerosis, and even strokes can have an effect on hearing. Mm-hmm. And multiple, then there multiple are multiple sclerosis. And then, of course, medications, chemicals, and, of course, physical trauma, as well as neurobiological round up the main causes of hearing If you get a railway spike shot into your ear. That would be physical trauma. Unless uh-huh. it stays in there and it picks up all the vibrations and <laughs> transmits them directly to your, what is the, yeah, but, was the part but, of the brain, the but, but then cortex every, of some kind? No, but then everything sounds like gong, <laughs> dong. It's like, wow, there's a lot of you just, you just gongs a, around you, here. <laughs> You just put a, like a little a dish on the end of it. All right. And you're fine. If it caused those bones to move, which would then push the stapes in and out, then mm-hmm. yes, you would be able to hear. Now, hyperacusis mm. is a health condition characterized by an oversensitivity to certain frequency and volume ranges okay. of sound. A person with severe hyperacusis has difficulty tolerating everyday sounds some of which may seem unpleasantly or painfully loud to that person, but not to others. Okay. It can be acquired as a result of damage sustained to the hearing apparatus or inner ear, or as a result of damage to the brain or the neurological system. Wait, so it, you do damage to your hearing apparatus, and then you become hyper more acute? Yes. Wow, that's odd. That would, that would, that's counterintuitive to me. A rare type of hyperacusis called vestibular hyperacusis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it only affects people who wear vests all the time. Or, or in the vestibule. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, is caused by the brain perceiving certain sounds as motion input as well as auditory input. So like you're traveling in a car or there's like wind whipping through your hair? Sounds or... come in and you think you're moving. Yep. Sounds come in and your body perceives it as motion and you get very confused and upset. Yeah. I would imagine. But it's going to make you fall over and stuff? Uh, I would think so. Yeah. The most common cause of hyperacusis or hyperacusis is overexposure to excessively high decibel levels or sound pressure levels. Okay. Same thing. Symptoms. In cochlear hyperacusis, the most common form of hyperacusis, these symptoms are ear pain, annoyance okay. is a symptom. Oh, I think everyone around the table has uh, at least yep. that symptom. Yep. <laughs> and general intolerance to any sounds that most people don't notice or consider unpleasant. Okay. Crying spells or panic attacks may result. As many as 86% of hyperacusis sufferers also have tinnitus. Well, that makes sense. In vestibular hyperacusis, the sufferer may experience feelings of dizziness, nausea, or a loss of balance when sounds of certain pitches are present. For instance, people with vestibular hyperacusis may feel like they are falling, and as a result, involuntary grimace or clutch or for something to brace themselves. So they hear sound and they go, they think they're falling. You know the feeling when you're leaning back on a chair and then suddenly, oh my God. It's like feeling like that. A certain tone will make you feel like that. 
Does it make me a bad person if I met somebody like that? I would like try and like get them yes. going, yes, like as many opportunities. Like if the tone was like like ding, like something like that, I'd be like ding, no, ding. That makes nope. you a bad person. Ding. It's true. And then you know, he goes, oh, and I'd be key. I would totally, I would totally do that forever. Just keep doing it. This never yeah. gets old. <laughs> it wouldn't my, get my old. Are Kevin. you kidding me? You, you wait until they were like carrying groceries or something, right? <laughs> you wait until they were driving. Carrying a, a pizza. Then you take the pizza and you run it. Driving a car, right? Oh, yeah. Driving a car. I'm fucked. That way you can kill multiple people with your annoying prank. Mm, I'm not driving. <laughs> okay. I'm backseat driving. Yeah. Tinnitus is the perception of sound within the human ear when no actual sound is present. Mm -hmm. Though it is often described as a ringing in the ears, ringing is only one of the many sounds that a person may perceive. Oh, Mm. really? Yeah. Can we hear ACDC? That'd be all right. Uh, Tinnitus can be perceived in one or both ears or in the head. It is usually described as a ringing noise, but in some patients it takes the form of a high-pitched whining, Mm -hmm. electric buzzing, hissing, humming, Um, tinging, or whistling sound, or as ticking, clicking. Oh. Wait, wait, the, the, the ticking one, that's the 60 minutes variety. Spoon! Roaring. <laughs> crickets, or tree frogs, or locusts. Really? Yep. <laughs> Tunes. Hey, wait, is that what a cricket sounds like? <laughs> yeah, let's, we'll do it's not now. like crickets humping, maybe. <laughs> Tunes, songs, beeping. Beep, beep. Sizzling. Oh, you know what? That the worst part about that one would be. You'd be constantly thinking somebody's cooking something awesome. You'd be like, "Oh, bacon! All right, woohoo!" Oh no, it's just in my ear. Oh, ooh, bacon in my ear. Sounds that slightly resemble human voices. That would be oh, so awful. Yeah, that would not be. Or even a pure steady tone like that heard during a hearing test. Yeah. And in some cases, it's basically ringing. Yeah, <laughs> and in some cases, pressure changes from the interior ear. Oh. So all you. Right. quote unquote here is feeling that pressure change constantly oh I wouldn't like that one either it has also been described as a whooshing sound because of acute muscle spasms as of wind or waves tinnitus can be intermittent or it can be continuous in which case it can be the cause of great distress mm-hmm. In some individuals, the intensity can be changed by shoulder, head, tongue, jaw, or eye movements. Mm-hmm. So literally the way that you place your head and parts in it can change how your tinnitus affects you. <laughs> tinnitus is not a disease, but a condition that can result from a wide range of underlying causes. Yes. The most common cause is noise-induced hearing loss. Other causes include neurological damage, multiple sclerosis, for example, mm-hmm. ear infections, oxidative stress. Oxidative stress. Is that uh, the kind of stress you get when you uh, have to use too much oxyclean? That's when your ear starts to rust. Oh, okay. <laughs> oxidative stress reflects an imbalance between the systemic manifestation of reactive oxygen species and a biological system's ability to readily detoxify the reactive intermediaries or to repair the resulting damage. That makes that sense. Question. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. They need a laymanpedia. They have yeah. one. I can't remember how to get to it. Uh-huh. Emotional stress. Foreign objects in the ear, right. nasal allergies that prevent- That's why you should never put your penis in your ear. That's right. Uh, that's the well, only reason? Not not from somebody from out of the country. That would be a foreign object in your ear. Oh, I see. If you want to put somebody from Canada's penis in your ear, that's fine. Right. When you're in Canada. When you're in Canada. Mm-hmm. Nasal allergies that prevent or induce fluid drain. 
Okay. Wax buildup. Oh, no. And the previously mentioned exposure to loud sounds. Got it. I remember I went to the doctor once uh, Mm -hmm. because I was having difficulty hearing in one ear, and the doctor took a big giant syringe full of warm water and shot it it into my ear. Mm -hmm. And then the problem went away. Yeah, that'd be wax. Too much uh, wax. Oh. And you should only let doctors do that. There are lots of terrible horror stories, which I haven't written down because it wasn't exactly what hearing. That time you tried to do with the fire hose. Yeah. (laughs) There are several proposed treatments, but nothing that I could find was much better than promising. No. Considering tinnitus is present in 10 to 15% of people, I kind of find that depressing. Right. I don't find it surprising. We got a lot of noise pollution. Uh, There are lots of- Looking at you, Kevin. Pollution, but my ears would disagree. Rock and roll ain't noise pollution. Look, ACDC, I like you, but you're totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Rock and roll can absolutely be noise pollution, and I, and I wish I had realized that sooner. Disagree. It's all about the levels, man. <laughs> that uh-huh. What do you guys think is the animal with the most acute hearing? Dogs. No. Torn. <laughs> Uh, the most acute hearing. Yep. Uh, Elephants. Um, I know that owls have excellent hearing. That is a great answer. I'm going to take it. Okay. Owls have the sharpest hearing. In nocturnal owls, like the barn owl or the tang malms owl, uh-huh. the shape of the feathers around their head act as a massive collector dish for sounds. Mm-hmm. Wow. If you were able to actually see, and you know how owls look like big birds, like with big heads and stuff? Yeah. If you look at an owl without its feathers on, it, they're actually quite scrawny. Right. And so these big poofs of feathers around their heads, you'll notice, form these dishes which actually mm-hmm. act like huge ears or ear lobes or yeah. uh, pinna. This directs it to their ears, which are at different heights on either side of their head, which Ooh. allows them to vertically pinpoint a sound. Now, I've got this BBC video showing an owl perfectly targeting a rodent under the snow. Yes. Check this out. I, we're going to include this on podcast.com. So this owl from... Tens of meters away, mm-hmm. detects a lemming under the snow making slight rustling sounds so well that it focuses exactly where it is and then just flies straight at it silently and gets it under the snow. Yep. That's why their motto is give a hoot, don't noise pollute. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Though an owl's hearing is incredibly acute, its actual range of hearing is only about the same as a human's, meaning they don't hear higher or lower frequencies than us. They're just really good at hearing. It's all about what you're interested in, though. I can hear a tube steak being, uh, Mr. Tube Steak being cooked from like seven blocks oh, away. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, so the greatest range of hearing, cats can actually hear up to 79 kilohertz. Humans can only hear up to about 20 kilohertz. And as we saw, as you get older, that gets worse and worse. Dogs can only hear up to 60 kilohertz. Right, there you go. However, researchers at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland, have discovered that the greater wax moth, a dull-colored, generally boring and common moth, has the most extreme hearing sense of any known animal. Hey, Joe, uh, I don't want to talk about your home life, but I don't really think anyone needs to hear about when your greater wax off is. (laughs) (laughs) Greater, Greater wax moth. Oh, that's something different. Never mind. It so, is, a great range. It is capable of hearing sound frequencies up to 300 kilohertz, blowing away our own human capabilities, and right. even beating bats who can hear up to 200 kilohertz. Well, sure. Wow. It's because they have to hear the bats coming to eat them. Yeah. There you go. Now, bats actually have a, a wide variety of frequencies that they can hear depending on which species of bat it yep. is. The bat species who can hear up to 200 kilohertz actually have difficulty hearing under 10 kilohertz, mm-hmm. whereas a human oh. actually goes from about 10 hertz 
which is one one thousandth of, of a kilohertz, mm-hmm. up to 20 kilohertz. So our range is there. Those bats have 10 kilohertz, so a thousand times more frequency than right. our lowest, up to the 200. Uh, mice use their ability to produce sounds out of their predator's frequency ranges <laughs> up to 70 kilohertz. They can alert other mice of danger without also alerting predators, except for cats, it seems. Because mm-hmm. cats can hear up to 79. Oh. The squeaks that we humans can hear are lower in frequency and are used by the mouse to make longer distance calls because low frequency sounds can travel further than high frequency sounds. Oh, got it. So mice are actually making sounds around us all the time. We just can't hear it. Got it. They're calling us names. Oh, can you imagine if you could actually start hearing uh, mouse conversations? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be disturbing because then you just know. Got any when cheese? Got any cheese? Got any cheese? Anyone know some cheese? I want some cheese. No, is there some cheese? I just think cheese? more along the lines of you would know how many mice are out yeah. there nearby yeah. and you, without uh. your knowledge. Good. Many animals use sounds to echolocate, yep. including bats and toothed whales. Mm-hmm. An echolocating dolphin can detect a two and a half centimeter object, such as a big coin, from over 70 meters away. So that's 70% of a football field. Wow. Can something an inch big. Right. That's pretty amazing. Some moths, such as the tiger moth, have evolved super sensitive ears that can hear bat sonar. And when these moths hear a hunting bat, they send back their own sound, as many as 450 clicks in a tenth of a second. Such actions jam the bat's sonar mm-hmm. and confuses them, mm-hmm. allowing the moth to escape. Well, I had no idea that moths were going to be so far up the food chain as far as hearing is concerned. I also know that moths, when because they, they can detect when a bat is echolocating at them, mm-hmm. and then instead of emitting something back at them to jam, they'll just stop flying and drop. Yes, but... I read that. That's actually part of the article that I took that bit from, but they're not very good at that because bats just compensate. Right. Right. And their bats are faster than moths. And bats are faster than moths. It does work, but the ones that have developed the ability to send back the jamming work even Mm -hmm. better. We be jamming. Yeah. We be jamming bats, man. (laughs) We've all seen plenty of optical illusions. What about auditory illusions? The McGurk effect is a perceptual, I know, Coach McGurk. The McGurk effect is a perceptual phenomenon that demonstrates an interaction between hearing and vision and speech perception. I'm going to show you guys this right now. Now, this is one that we can't show on a podcast because this requires you to see what's going on. So again, I'm going to include this video from ASAP Science in the show notes for this up at causticsodapodcast.com. Go check this out. It's going to blow you away. The big uh, uh, headline right at the top is, can you trust your ears? I've always trusted my ears. Yeah. They've never left me. Okay. They've stuck with me through thick and thin. That's right. So, you know, my quick answer is yes, I trust my ears implicitly. Okay, good. So watch this and tell me what this guy's saying. All right. The McGurk effect illusion occurs when the auditory component of one sound is paired with the visual component of another sound. So in the example we just saw, he's saying the word bar. And when you see his mouth form the word bar, you hear bar. So he goes bar, bar, bar. But if you take that same sound and make his mouth form the shape for far, even though it's saying the exact same thing, you're using the audio of bar, 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 most people will hear far, far, far. Well, isn't though, this is just a, a like, because man is a political and social animal, and isn't this just a social adaptation to make up for all the mumblers out there? I, I would agree. Yeah. I mean, this is being I'm able to mumbler. pay attention to people. I'm a mumbler from way back. I got friends of mine who are even worse mumblers than I am. You have to kind of infer what they're saying for the most part from... Uh, 
you know, all the different physical right. cues that you get. What's really weird though is you can, when you watch that video and they've got both videos side by side with the same audio, you, I was able to jump back and forth looking at left, then right, then left, then right, and just hear bar, far, bar, far the whole time. Like I couldn't uh, force myself to hear the right thing. People of all languages rely to some extent on visual information and speech perception, but the intensity of the McGurk effect can change between languages. Dutch, English, Spanish, German, and Italian language listeners experience a robust McGurk effect, mm. while it's weaker for Japanese and Chinese listeners. I think this guy is just, uh, you know, throwing some the wrench into the monkey works here, making us doubt our trustworthy ears. I think this should be called the McGurk effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who is this McGurk guy anyway? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know. I bet you his nickname in elementary school was McJerk. A shepherd tone named after Roger Shepherd is... What, it's the ability to hear lambs. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? My shepherd sense is tingling. <laughs> yeah. Shepherd man. The shepherd tone is named after Roger Shepherd is a sound consisting of a superposition of sine waves separated by octaves. What's a superposition? That's uh, the most the- comfortable yoga position, the one that you can hold for as long as you need to. No, it's the one where you, one arm is back and the other arm is straight forward. Oh, out, yeah. Like you're flying like Christopher Reeve. Superposition yeah. means placed on top of each other. Okay. Okay. When played with the base pitch of the tone moving upward or downward, it's when, referred to as the shepherd's scale. When you place me on top of things, sometimes that's a superposition, you know what I'm saying? Oh, okay. This creates the auditory illusion of a tone that continually ascends or descends in pitch, yet which ultimately seems to get no higher or lower. It's been described as a sonic barber's pole, and I'm going to play it for you guys, but we're going to just put this right into the show. You will hear the shepherd position, what's it called, the shepherd tone, now. But here's the thing, it's not. It'll just go on forever and ever. Yep. Isn't that bizarre? You'd think at some point it would land. This is very specifically a shepherd rosette glissando, because there's different ways to do these. Come on, crash already. It's not going to. That's it. That's Damn 45 you. seconds of it. Uh, this is used in a few different places uh, for interesting effect. In the video game Super Mario 64, Ooh. a modified shepherd tone is incorporated into the music of the Endless Staircase. Right. All right. Nice. Okay. And in the film The Dark Knight and its follow-up The Dark Knight Rises, a shepherd tone was used to create the sound of the Bat Pod, a motorcycle that the filmmakers didn't want to change gear and tone abruptly, but to constantly accelerate. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it's just constantly going, doing a shepherd tone, which sounds like it's accelerating, but it's actually not. Right, the shepherd tone.
Yes! Uh, <laughs> one decibel uh-huh. is one-tenth of a bell. The bell is named in honor of Alexander Graham Bell. Sure. But oh. it's seldom used. Should have called them Grahams. Yeah. And decigrams. Bell is the logarithmic scale. That means mm-hmm. one comes after two. So when something is one bell higher, that means it's ten times louder. Oh. oh, it's not that you hit a person in the head with a log and then they their ears ring and that's a decibel. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not that. Okay. Not that kind of logarithm. Mm-hmm. A decibel is one-tenth of a bell. Right. Okay. So in order to get the multipliers, you have to divide it by 10 and then do 10 to the whatever that is. So what that makes is for a very odd scale. We And I've got- they, Why don't they just convert it to metric? I Or yeah. something, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure why it happens. This is just mm-hmm. the way it works. I'm all confused. Okay, so starting down at the low end, we've got it 10 decibels is absolute silence. No, I don't understand why it's not oh, zero. Two. So there's nothing quieter than 10 decibels. As far as I can tell, I don't know why that is that they put it there. I'm so mad at Alexander Graham Bell right now. (laughs) I'm going to call him up on his telephone. Yeah, that's right. And yell at him at 10 decibels. (laughs) (laughs) Hello? Hello? (laughs) Why is Jewish suddenly? The the sound of an incandescent light bulb makes a hum at 13 decibels. Sure. Okay. So. All right. Drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. A, oh, really? Very sensitive. If you were to drop a pin from the height of one centimeter and try to hear it at a distance of one meter away, that would be 15 decibels. Well, what okay. is the pin landing on? Is it landing on a drum or a cushion? I'm guessing a hard <laughs> surface, like a, like a tabletop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. 30 decibels is totally quiet nighttime in the desert. Oh. 40 is whispering. 60 is normal conversation. Mm-hmm. So you're hearing 60 decibels now, depending on what well, you've got your uh, 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 monopod your, tuned your, to. Your, your uh, non-specific, non-branded uh, you know, uh, listening device? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 85 decibels is the beginning of hearing damage range, and earplugs should be worn. Okay. okay. So what that means is it doesn't take much to start doing some hearing damage. It's, of course, the greater the, the volume, the more damage it's going to do. But right. at 85, you're starting to get some anyway, and it will add up. Got it. Is that Stormcrow Tavern restaurant uh, level of um, noise? The din. Well, the 85 that's decibels. 85. 100 decibels is the normal average car or house stereo at maximum volume. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, wait, uh, what's your ca- and a car at maximum volume? I didn't realize I could change the volume on my car. Car or house <laughs> stereo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at 116 decibels, the human body begins to perceive vibrations from low frequencies. So that's when you can actually feel it. Oh, yeah, I've done body. that. I felt that. The front row of a rock concert is 120 decibels. Mm-hmm. I've been there. John, have you ever been in the front row of a rock concert? I've been closer. <laughs> <laughs> Torn has looked at the people in the front row yeah. from closer. Uh-huh. At 127 decibels, tinnitus begins and permanent hearing loss can occur. Oh, yeah. Got it. So, Yeah. Cover your ears. What's the loudest human scream? We're right at it, 128 decibels. So the loudest human scream is, is loud enough to cause permanent yes. hearing Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Going up from here, at 140 decibels is the threshold of pain for all frequencies. Okay. It means that no matter what the frequency is, if you get 140 decibels of it, it's going to actually start hurting you. Oh, so even you're if it's do like- the old uh, Captain Kirk. Yeah. Putting his hands on his ears and making grimace and pulling back That's on his right. face. Uh, you can even go like a third encounters, like the low range, the bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah. Right? 
you know, but at 140 decibels still. 140 decibels is also where hearing protection is absolutely required because we're talking about definite long-term damage. Mm -hmm. And it's also the point where the human throat and vocal cord resonance occurs. What does that mean? So that means that that your your vocal cords in your throat will start to vibrate along with the sound that's going through your body. And you can't help it. It will make you talk. If you if you were to It'll breathe make you out, you say things you didn't want to say. If you were to breathe out, you would make vocal sounds yeah, oh. because they would just be vibrating without you wanting them to. I, I didn't say, "Honey, I want a divorce." It was just resonating at the same frequency as my vocal cords. At 141 and above, nausea after a few minutes. The, oh. Your nose itches due to your hair vibrations. Visions <laughs> will blur at 145 decibels because your eyeballs start to vibrate. Wow! Nice. 147 decibels is a Formula One race car full throttle drive-by. Mm-hmm. So if you were watching Formula One, wear some earplugs. I, that's good advice. Because that is loud. That is going to cause severe damage. A vibrating eyeball sounds like something you'd see when you're on an acid trip. Now, this is going to scare Torin. At a loud rock concert, standing right at the speakers, 150 decibels. Oh, my God. So well above much. all this horrible damage, yeah. Mm-hmm. At that level... It, you get the sensation of being compressed as if underwater. You know what it's like to dive. I don't even have to do it. You don't even have to do it. Forget it. <laughs> Done. At, Cross that off the bucket list. Yeah. At 170. And I saw some octopus while I was there too. <laughs> at 170.75 decibels, you get the equivalent of pressure of one pound per square inch. Mm-hmm. So your body will just actually feel compressed. Like right. every square inch will have a pound of pressure on it just from the sound waves. Got it. At 195 decibels, human eardrums will rupture. Oh, oh, oh that's bad. I, Those that are hard to fix. Yeah, that doesn't sound like something that I want ruptured. At 202 decibels, you will die from the shockwave alone. Yeah. A shockwave death. <laughs> ah, then you just disintegrate. Death by stereo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you just burst into like individual atoms. I think I'm not sure if we're at that level yet, but I you die. So you die from the shock wave. Is mm. it like like a massive concussion? Your brain rattles around in your brain cage, or does it like your, does your heart burst, or like what about the shock wave? Kills Total protonic you? reversal. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Total protonic reversal. Imagine every molecule in your body instantaneously flying apart at the speed of light. I don't know if that's what would actually happen. <laughs> we're, we're making a Ghostbusters reference. It's Got not it. true. Got it. Uh, I don't know. I would think that it pr- probably liquefies your brain. Like it just, the vibrations go through your brain and just yeah, turn it into just a massive it doesn't work concussion. It'd be like getting punched by 17 Mike Tysons at once. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. At 213 decibels, that would be a sonic boom, which would generate 1.2 gigawatts of power. How do we, how do we harness that power? We don't. Oh, shit. Mm. That's the thing. Sound, it just turns into heat. It just vibrates through things and eventually dissipates. You know, at that level, I think you got to count. You got to call it a jigga. What? (laughs) 215 decibels is the battleship New Jersey firing all nine 16-inch guns at once. That seems like it would be loud. Battleship New Jersey. Well, then how do people survive if 202 decibels is death from a sound shockwave? (laughs) How do they ever fire their guns without all the people in the ship dying immediately? All I know is that the Battleship New Jersey should never go to the shore. (laughs) Yeah. The intensity will decrease over distance, and I'm thinking that the people in the ship are literally in the ship, and it is made to be insulated from that They're not lying on the guns when they're getting shot. Yeah. I've seen Top Gun. They have those massive, massive yeah. ear protectors okay. on the deck of the- Over their entire I, body. I don't think anybody would be outside a battleship while it's firing. Oh, really? it's, it's not like an aircraft carrier where you've got guys on the run, quote-unquote runway. 
I'm right. pretty sure. We, maybe we'll get somebody who knows better than me, but it seems like Stay that tuned would... for more information on the Battleships episode of Is Cossack that... Soda. When you fire those Battleship guns, don't they like tilt sideways? Like, isn't it just a massive... It's a turret. Fi- it's a like turret. The, but they fire the from the entire side, broadsides of it, like over, like arch no, over... No, they're usually... They're, they're on a rotating turrets. They can shoot um, any direction you want. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you've got the, kind of the pillbox in the middle and then the cannons yeah. coming out of it, and then but it can rotate around the entire front. What is that, 270 degrees? Okay, but uh, I guess you the the job as like a battleship cannon spotter. Uh, you only do that once. The guy who like right. stands right beneath it with the binoculars going shoot there, kaboom, and then you know, uh oh, we liquefied that guy. Get uh, another one. Put him in the bridge. Open the door. Let out yeah. number two. <laughs> the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan, on August sixth and 9th, nineteen forty five, created a sound of two hundred and forty eight decibels. Right. Mm. Total disintegration of 16 square miles. Wind was an average of 300 miles per hour. It destroyed 28-inch thick concrete walls at a one-mile distance, and it left a crater 633 feet wide and 80 feet deep. All from the sound alone. Yeah. Well, sound and shockwave <laughs> is basically the same thing. Yeah. The Mount St. Helens volcanic eruption was 286 decibels. Wow. So people and that was who the right largest sound ever recorded, yes? I don't think we've got a recording of this, but the loudest sound in known history was the Krakatoa volcanic eruption Wouldn't in 1883. Wouldn't it have destroyed the recording equipment? Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. <laughs> if a bomb, yeah. if you put a, a tape recorder next to a Hiroshima bomb dropping, uh-huh. what does it sound like? Yeah. Because it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's been destroyed. Yeah. yeah just, just static. <laughs> and then silence. The Krakatoa volcanic eruption in 1883 was 310 decibels. It cracked one foot thick concrete at 300 miles, created a 3,000 foot tidal wave, and was heard 3,100 miles away. Sound pressure caused barometers to fluctuate wildly at 100 miles distance, indicating levels of 190 decibels at that distance from the blast site. They're like, oh, it's going to rain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to rain volcanic ash. Yeah. I wonder what it sounded, when you heard it 3,100 miles away, I wonder what it sounded like. Oh, man. Well, 100 miles Kablooey. away, it was 190 decibels, which is the equivalent of a one-pound bomb or grenade at blast epicenter. So that means 100 miles away, it sounded like being next to a grenade going off. Okay, so at 3,100 miles, it was probably more like, hey. <laughs> and what was that? Something On the side of the planet, somebody just hears a No, if your name was Bob, it was very confusing. What was that? Huh? I think Krakatoa just exploded. <laughs> no, was someone calling. Krakatoa's calling me? Yeah. It knows my name? <laughs> it's coming for you. Now, these one shots, of course, are big loud noises, but the continuing of excessive noise is called noise pollution. Uh-huh. Mm. It's uh, the disturbing or excessive noise that may harm the activity or balance of human or animal life. The source of most outdoor noise worldwide is mainly caused by machines and transportation systems, motor vehicles, aircraft, and trains. So I'm guessing this whole section we're going to end with, but we know that it's a myth. Because if ACDC has taught me anything, rock and rolling noise pollution. And if I can't believe everything that ACDC says, what can I believe? What can I believe in, Joe? Uh, you're, soon you're going to stop believing Hollywood. Don't stop believing in ACDC. Poor urban planning may give rise to noise pollution since side-by-side industrial and residential buildings can result in noise pollution in the residential areas. Mm. High- what, about, 
when the uh, what are those crickets that come out every seventeen years? Uh, cicadas. Cicadas. Yeah. Are they a form of noise pollution? I don't. I know say much. yes. I think they're pretty loud, but generally they stay away from people. Uh, I get noise pollution is all relative. It's all relative. Uh, mm, like when your relatives talk too much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Relatives are noise yeah. pollution. <laughs> One person's noise pollution is another person's noise sweetness. Yeah. Right? Oh, you think it's another man's junk is another man's treasure kind of so. situation? I do. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, But can't we all like 100% agree that traffic noise is pretty much a hassle? What if I needed to get to sleep? Traffic noise puts you to sleep? I'm just saying. I'm like white noise. That's not white noise. <laughs> traffic noise isn't white noise. It's not? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Traffic noise is like, you know, noise. Meet me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is that what traffic noise sounds like? Yes. I'm so confused. <laughs> so, according to cicadamania.com. <laughs> oh, yes. oh, wait, we're coming back around to okay. cicadas? Yeah. I thought that was. All right. Uh, cicadas can go from 85 to 109 decibels. Yes, absolutely. Wow, That's that quite loud. Loud, loud. As we know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll cause hearing damage. Mm-hmm. And it's a natural noise pollution. There you go. Right. Right. Well, so is like Krakatoa. Yeah. Noise right? noise. You know, and uh, that's right. Mount St. Well, Helens. This is, this is like global warming. You're right. Other things cause global warming, but we're the major cause oh, of sure. it. And it's right. the same thing with the mm-hmm. noise pollution. Yeah, there's lots of other things to make noise, but we're really good at making it happen over and over again. That's yeah. true. High noise farting. level. <laughs> if everybody in the world farted at once, would we all hear it? I mean, aside from our own, would it make a reverberant shockwave? Yeah, but they don't have to be the exact same frequency, which is Relatively unlikely because we all have right. different like size That's and right. you know tightness of sphincters and yes. size of butt yes. cheeks and the, whatnot. The and world's largest mm-hmm. smelliest chorus. Yeah. High noise levels can contribute to cardiovascular effects in humans, oh. a rise in blood pressure, and an increase in stress and vasoconstriction, right. and an increased incidence of coronary artery disease. Hmm. In animals, noise can increase the risk of death by altering predator or prey detection and avoidance, right. interference mm-hmm. with reproduction and navigation, and contribute to permanent hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, if you brought in an air compressor into a swamp where all the frogs are going because they want to find each other for mating, that'll ruin your day. That's right. Mr. Frog. An impact of noise on wild animal life is the reduction of usable habitat that noisy areas may cause, which in the case of endangered species may be part of the path to extinction. Mm -hmm. Because if these Mm -hmm. endangered species can't send out their mating calls, they're not going to make new uh, generations of those species and they're just going to die out. Doesn't evolution kind of state that then they just like tweet louder? Some of them will. I mean, Uh it's true. What would happen is then those that do have a strong enough call to overcome the noise pollution would be the ones more likely to mate and for their genes to carry on, which would then create them louder. And then we get a war of who's loud enough. And or... Uh, there they, were nothing but cicadas going, hey, hey, who wants to get laid? Hey, I'm trying to talk over this It machinery. might not necessarily be the loudness. What if two birds, you know, for example, uh, can only do it while traffic is going on <laughs> and they're the ones that survive. Are you back to your trial and your white then, noise argument again? And then, <laughs> and then we switch to electric cars. Yeah, and we and switch to electric cars and all those die because they can't get it up anymore. This, I'm this, sorry, baby. I just can't do it unless I hear a big loud motor. I think you're attributing like arousal, human arousal sort of, you know, hangups to. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. I suspect. You're not a bird. I suspect. I'm going to call an ornithologist. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Noise pollution can cause whales to beach themselves after being exposed to the loud sound of military right. sonar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Military sonar? Yeah. So they're like, I'm getting out of the ocean. 
screw this. Yeah. This is too much yeah. for me. Uh, it can't be worse on land, yeah. can it, yeah. guys? It's like, I've never been up there, but it can't be worse than this, this can it? driving me crazy. Well, if these jerks are going to come here and be loud, I'm going to go up on the land and be loud. That'll show them. <laughs> sure. oh, wait, yeah. why am I dying? <laughs> Didn't the, expect that. Yeah. The, no. Curse you humans. The effect of high noise levels on small children has been known to cause physical health damages as well. Children from noisy residences often possess a heart rate that is significantly higher by, by two beats per minute on average than those of children from quieter homes. Right. Now I want to talk about infrasound. Infrasound. Yeah. Some, is, that, is this like ultrasound? It's the opposite, opposite of ultrasound. Yeah. Ultrasound would be high, super high frequency sounds like the mouse communication that we can't hear in the right. bats and things like that. Infrasound is super low frequency. Can you take a picture of a baby with infrasound? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no. I don't know the answer to that. What you do is you, uh, the baby takes a picture of you. <laughs> you're like OBGYN is going to take a peek to see like what's going on in there and all of a sudden just this flat flash what the oh my god that was infrasound everybody <laughs> alright okay I guess you got infrasound capabilities in there sometimes referred to as low frequency sound it's a sound that is lower in frequency than 20 hertz or cycles per second which is the normal limit of human hearing I might have said 10 before it is 20 Okay. Uh, ours, our hearing is generated from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the 20 kilohertz goes down as your age goes up. Right. Hearing becomes gradually less sensitive as frequency decreases. So for humans to perceive infrasound, the sound pressure must be sufficiently high. What Basically, that what that means is when the sound pressure is super high, you actually feel it through your body. Oh, right. Instead right. of picking up in your ears. Right. On Wait, so is infrasound? No. Or- it's super, super low. Yeah. Right. So that's what I that's what I think of when I think of ultrasound though. When someone says I did an ultrasound, that means No. Ultrasound means super high so you can't hear it. Okay. On you've opposites. Been, you've never been present for an ultrasound then, obviously. True. It doesn't actually make any noise whatsoever. Huh. It's just that you actually it's kind of like it's this clicking thing. Huh. Yeah, like just the machine does its thing. <laughs> no, it's just like a massager. Yeah, it kind of was a massager. Kind of is. They put the like the slimy stuff on things. It's like everything's all slimy. The goo. Yeah, the goo. Like you, you never quite get the goo off. Facilitates the infrasound. Yeah, uh, ultrasound. Mm-hmm. In May of 2003, a group of uh, English researchers held a mass experiment where they exposed some 700 people to music laced with a soft 17 hertz sine wave, played at a level described as quote near the edge of hearing. Okay. Produced by an extra long stroke subwoofer mounted two thirds of the way from the end of a seven meter long plastic sewer pipe. So they basically built a special thing to put out this super low frequency. Right. The experimental concert consisted of four musical pieces. Two of the pieces in each concert had 17 hertz tones played underneath. Okay. In the second Everyone concert. Everyone had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> in the second concert, the pieces that were carrying a 17 hertz undertone were swapped. Right. So that the test results would not focus on any specific musical piece. Okay. Right. The participants were not told which pieces included the low level 17 hertz near infrasonic tone. The presence of the tone resulted in a significant number, 22%. So not everyone, not even most, but right. 22% of the respondents reporting anxiety, uneasiness, extreme <laughs> sorrow, <laughs> nervous feelings of revulsion or fear. Yeah. So this is why they use these kinds of tones in horror movies. Yeah. Chills down the spine and Woo-hoo. feelings of pressure on the chest. Uh, like a ghost. 
This is the best concert I've ever been to. (laughs) In presenting the evidence to the British Association for the Advancement of Scientists, Professor Richard Wiseman, who I think we've talked about a few times, he's got an excellent YouTube series, said, These results suggest that low-frequency sound can cause people to have unusual experiences even though they cannot consciously detect infrasounds. Some scientists have suggested that this level of sound may be present at some allegedly haunted sites and so cause people to have odd sensations that they attribute to a ghost. Ah, I think we, didn't okay. call, didn't, I think we, we might have talk talked about this, about this during the ghost, the ghost episode. episode. Yeah, our findings support these ideas. There you go. So there we go. So, call back to the ghost episode. Go- Ghosts don't necessarily exist, but low-frequency sounds do. As far as we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Never been proved. <laughs> Really? I think that study just think, kind of proved I think it. low-frequency sounds are a hoax. Oh, really? Okay. All right. Or or do you mean hoax? <laughs> I know that elephants communicate to some extent in infrasound. Oh, wow. They're low rumblies. Is this because like they uh, they rumble through their trunks? Yeah. Like, it's got this like long, you know, kind of... Oh, that's true, because you do need a very long instrument to make infrasound. So what do you think an elephant's saying when it goes... Get the fuck out of my way. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm a fucking elephant. <laughs> Look at how huge I am. I'm bigger than you. In the history. So I've got a, a quick, well-ish, hearing aids in history lesson here. Mm, I didn't realize they had aids in history. The well, somebody and you hearing, hearing aids, hearing yeah, the old timey aids you could hear. Yeah, it was creeping up on you. It's like right. it had like a little theme song. Here comes the aids. Here comes the. Aids. Oh, I better not have sex with that person. They've got hearing aids. Yeah, exactly. Just don't listen to anything to say. Is it? I think what's happening yeah, there. That's that's <laughs> how come it got wiped out back in the dark ages. Mm-hmm. The use of ear trumpets for the partially deaf dates back to 17th century. By the late 18th century, their use was becoming increasingly common. You know, if you play trumpets into a person's ear who has hard of hearing, you think it'd make the problem worse, not better. Yes. Turn that shit around. That's what they did. Ah, clever. The first firm to begin commercial production of the ear trumpet was established by Frederick C. Rhine in London in 1800. Initially, these devices were bulky and had to be physically supported from below. You'll actually see them like they're big trumpets, and then they'll have like a stand. Right. Okay. It just holds it up. You carry their stand around like uh, yeah. like your IV. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Later, smaller handheld ear trumpets and cones were used as hearing aids, which we've seen in some old-timey jokes making fun of people. Yeah, eh, and, the eh. car- yeah and like Bugs Bunny and mm-hmm. Yosemite Sam cartoons yep. and whatnot. In 1819, Rhine was commissioned to design a special acoustic chair for the ailing King John VI of Portugal. And a, wait, an acoustic chair? Yes, this is awesome. Where are right, so all right, okay, acoustic chair. I don't really get. Wait, it. wait. Well, let me uh, let me stop say the words. What you're saying? Okay. Let me get in my acoustic chair. All right, speak now. The throne was designed with ornately carved arms that looked like the open mouths of lions. Okay. Mm -hmm. These holes acted as the receiving area for the acoustics, which were transmitted to the back of the throne (laughs) via a speaking tube and into the king's ear. I don't know. Don't talk at me. Talk into these lions' mouths. (laughs) Visitors were required to kneel before the chair and speak directly into the animal heads. I have a picture. So look at that. So there's, you talk into those mouths. There's a little tube and you can see there's a little tube in the back with a little thing that connects and then the for ear. added fun, the lion head, you press a trigger on the, cha- on the chair and, <laughs> and the, the lion shoots a poison spike. Bites <laughs> you. <laughs> bites your lips off. Nice. I, you know what? Here's you the, weren't saying nice enough things. Here's the drawback to the acoustic chair. You mm. undoubtedly hear your own farts with like, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> in full stereophonic sound. <laughs> Which you might like. You hear them, but you don't smell them because they're still down there. Uh, 
No, there's a there's a hole, and the farts come out of the lion's mouth as well. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, gas lions. It's got halitosis lines. Yeah. <laughs> Toward the late 19th century, hidden hearing aids became increasingly popular. Ryan pioneered many notable designs, including his acoustic headbands, where the hearing aid device was concealed within the hair or headgear. Ryan's Oralese phones were headbands made in a variety of shapes that incorporated sound collectors near the ear that would amplify acoustics. Did I have you say a cool Oralese? Oralese. Yeah, here Oralese. we go. Right there. Oralese. And here's a few of them. You can see them. There's, they kind of look like the equivalent of modern uh, headphones you'd wear for your, your iPhone or something like that, except with big trumpets collecting the sound by where your ears are. Maybe this is where Princess Leia got her hairdo from. It's, she was hard of hearing. And uh, used her little hairdo to disguise her devices. So I'm going to include this uh, image of these Orly's phones on CausticSodaPodcast.com. You'll be able to check them. Orly's. Hearing aids were also hidden in couches, clothing, and accessories. This drive towards ever-increasing invisibility was often more about hiding the individual's disability from the public than about helping the individual cope with their problem. Right. Yeah. I don't want them to know I'm old and losing my hearing because, uh, I don't know. Totally reasonable. I just always, uh, I never leave the uh, giant acoustic room I'm in. Conversely, I love this chair designed by Irish physician William A. McCune. He invented an acoustic chair in the late 1870s. McCune reasoned that nine-tenths of a man's time... Oh, I gotta do my Irish accent. Nice. Oh, can I do it? Sure. Nine-tenths of a man's time is spent at home or business... And if during this period I could secure the easy exercise of the function of hearing, the advantages resulting in the deaf would be incalculable. Yeah, that's good. The McKeown chair was... Oh, charms. The McKeown chair was meant to be portable and incorporated two large adjustable funnel-shaped trumpets. In this picture, it looks like a cheap lawn chair yeah. with two <laughs> huge trumpets just basically bolted on. You just yeah. put your head in the position and you're ready to go. Like, yeah, one on each ear, and he's just like, What?! I can hear everything. <laughs> Again, that picture Stop would be Stop shouting! I'm just talking at a normal level. Stop <laughs> shouting! Give me the smaller trumpets. The first electric hearing aid called the Acuphone mm-hmm. was created in 1898. It used a carbon transmitter so that the hearing aid could be portable. The carbon transmitter was used to amplify sound by taking weak, weak signal and using electric current to make it a strong signal. Uh, these electronic hearing aids could eventually be shrunk into purses and other accessories. They're still, when we say portable, we just mean carry around. Right, with you. right. Yeah. Uh, one of the first manufacturers of the electronically amplified hearing aids was Siemens Company in 1913. <laughs> yeah. Their hearing aids were bulky and not easily portable. They were about the size of a tall cigar box and had a speaker that would fit in the ear. Uh, Though sizes would decrease over time, it wasn't until the development of transistors in 1948 when there were major improvements in hearing aid design. I've got another picture of some of these. Before then, it was all vacuum tubes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So you'd have these big, huge vacuum tube devices, and you had to carry them around. The amplifier that you'd carry around, aside from what the uh, speaker would be, and the speaker was like an old-timey like telephone connector. Right. So like you would be listening to this, like it looked like a huge old microphone that you'd be putting up to your ear to try and hear somebody. Uh, really not very convenient. Got it. Here's something about the development of transistors. Uh, the initial development of transistors was so quickly adopted that they weren't properly tested. Uh-oh. They found out very quickly that if transistors got damp, they would fail. The first transistor-based hearing aids that were released would only last a few weeks and then die. Oh, okay. In order to stop this from happening, they had to coat the transistors to prevent them from getting damp. And once this problem was fixed, the uh, transistor-based hearing aids took off. The first digital hearing aids began appearing in the 1980s. 
Today, hearing aids and new cochlear implant technology are offering incredible strides for the partially deaf and even some, though not all, deaf people. Uh, it seems adult deaf born from birth never formed important neural pathways, and without those, they often find the cochlear implants ineffective or irritating. Mm-hmm. Irritating. Irritating. Uh-huh. Uh, again, I have another excellent YouTube video. It's the Mythbusters Adam Savage uh, on the Tested podcast talking about his own hearing loss and the solutions that he's got. Uh, including a wonderfully caustic description of his ear surgery that he had done, mm. where when they do surgery on their ear, they literally cut the from the back of your ear and then peel your entire ear forward yeah. to get at what's behind it, and oh. then put it. They peel it back and like staple and tape it back in the. So position. basically, when they're in the middle of that operation, you, your face kind of looks like that Halloween mask rack. Right, where I all the like so, rubber yeah. masks are kind of flattened <laughs> out. Well, just that, yeah, that ear the, part is folded yeah, forward, and there's just yeah, so your whole ugh. face is just kind of you know two dimensional. You know, I never looked behind my ear. I wonder what's back there. Probably a lot of gross dirt. Gnomes, gnomes, money. ear gnomes. Oh, money, <laughs> pot of gold. Uh, my uncle did produce a quarter from behind there once. Yeah, yeah, precisely. That's uh, he's tapping into that. In the news, <laughs> December 2013. In late 2007, 66-year-old electrical engineer Robert DeMong first awoke to a dissonant clamor in his head. Mm-hmm. There was a howling sound, a fingernails on a chalkboard sound, <laughs> brain zaps that hurt like a headache, <laughs> and a high-frequency tinkle noise like musicians hitting triangles in an orchestra. Many have since disappeared, but two especially stubborn noises remained. Mm. One he describes as monkeys banging on cymbals. <laughs> oh, okay. So like the, the little wind-up toy, but only like a much worse, I would imagine. Yeah. Cling, cling, mm-hmm. cling. Another resembles frying eggs and the hissing of high-voltage power lines. Okay. He hears these sounds every moment of every day. Wow. So clanging cymbals, mm-hmm. you know, buzzing and sizzling. And the hissing of high voltage power lines. Yeah. Right. DeMong was diagnosed in 2007 with tinnitus, a condition that causes this phantom ringing, buzzing, and roaring in ears. The noises haunted him, robbed him of sleep, and fueled a deep depression. Uh-huh. He lost interest in his favorite hobby, tinkering with his 78 Trans Am and his two Corvettes. He stopped going to work. Doctors diagnosed him with high-frequency hearing loss in both ears. Hearing aids helped with that, but not with the tinnitus. Meanwhile, he scoured- you think at that point, you just be, well, just take everything out. I'd rather be deaf. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, honestly. It got even worse than that, actually. Uh-oh. Oh, wow. Meanwhile, trigger warning. Yeah, watch out. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, he scoured the internet for cures. He spent $700 on miracle drugs and vitamins marketed for tinnitus. Okay. He tried 10 sections of acupuncture. Which, of course, did nothing because it's total bullshit. Mm-hmm. It made little holes in his skin. It, well, okay. did nothing but put little holes in his... And it actually might have made him think he felt better for a very brief amount of time. Cause, yeah. I mean, you, you know, put enough holes in your skin, uh, that noise is going to leak out somewhere, right? That's right. But his depression and insomnia were getting worse. He had become suicidal. Oh. I just wanted to get to go into a cave and either get well or die, he said. When relief finally came for DeMong, it was not in the form of a tinnitus specialist or an ear doctor, but a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. After checking himself into the emergency room, DeMong was referred to a doctor after several hours of hospital observation. While he insisted his problem was the ringing, she diagnosed him as depressed and prescribed sleeping pills and an antidepressant, Effexor. Effexor. Okay. Finally, he said he began to sleep and slowly the depression and along with it, the severity of his tinnitus began to improve. Oh, wow. It's a message he wants others suffering from the condition to know. If you've got ringing in the ears, the first thing you should do is go see a psychiatrist, he said. She saved my life. Oh, there you go. 
Good so times. if you're super depressed by this, go to a psychiatrist. Yeah, might work. Yeah. He's still got the ringing, but he can handle it. Like Torn always says, everything's a gamble. Yeah, sometimes those gambles pay off. Mm-hmm. In the pop culture, I didn't have a lot of pop culture here because movies tend to not focus on hearing or... Loss of uh, de- hearing. Or loss of hearing that much. I mean, there's certainly deaf characters. There's certainly movies about deaf characters. Uh, the one I wanted to pick up, just because I had some interesting trivia for it, was Children right. of, a, of a Lesser God. Right. It's a 1986 American romantic drama film. It's an adaptation of Mark Medoff's Tony Award-winning stage play of the same name. And it, the film stars Marley Matlin and William Hurt as employees at a school for the deaf, a hearing speech teacher, and a deaf custodian right. whose conflicting ideologies on speech and deafness create tension and discord in their developing romantic relationship. If you watch the trailer for this, it's kind of over-the-top, melodramatic love story about two people trying to overcome their differences to see if they can work together. Right. It's actually the film debut for deaf actress Matlin, who ended up winning the Oscar for Best Actress. She's right. only one of four people to have done that in their debut. Also, she's a method actor. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'm going to listen yeah. to loud music until I go deaf for this one. Got world. it. It's also notable for being the first since the 1926 silent film, You'd Be Surprised, to feature a deaf actor in a major role. Right. I found that to be quite surprising. I'm well, sh- you'd be surprised. I, I am surprised. Yeah. I'm guessing that it's just Hollywood going, oh, why don't we get somebody who can hear so they can hear us on set? Yeah. Uh, and not worry why about- Why make our lives more difficult? Yeah. People can pretend to be deaf. Yeah. What? Pardon? But, well- the first deaf actress won an Oscar for Best Actress in her first In the role display. of Best mm-hmm. Deaf Actor. Yeah. Yep. There's only one nominee every interesting year. Th- yep. <laughs> interesting about Marley Matlin and her, and her own deafness. She initially believed she was rendered deaf in infancy before the age of two by a bout of ro- roseola infantum or infantile measles, mm-hmm. but later found out that roseola doesn't cause deafness. Uh-oh. It 19- was a trick. In the 1990s, a doctor told her mother that he believed that Matlin had a genetically malformed cochlea, which meant that she could likely hear when she was born, but that her hearing receded after the first couple of years of her life. Right. So she thought she'd been deaf basically forever. Yeah. Because very early on had that measles. But, but in she fact, probably she was, could hear and then it got worse. Yeah, she was only deaf from when she can remember. Yeah. Uh, another interesting bit of trivia about uh, Children of the Lesser God, it's the first film directed by a woman to be Oscar nominated for the Academy Award for Best Picture. 1986. That's how long it took. Mm, well, it took another like 25 years to actually for women to win Best Director. So nobody's actually seen this movie in the Round the Table? I saw it many, many, many years ago and did not like it because it's just a... Uh, I suppose the performances are good and, and I watched it before I got into acting actually, like that long ago. Right. So I would probably appreciate the performances more. It's just, but it's, it's it's just dr- basically a drama with yeah. a deaf character played by a deaf actor. Right. The the drama comes in that he really wants her to talk to him. He knows that deaf people can learn to talk and communicate with people who can hear, and he demands that she does it. And she's like, no, the way I communicate is the way I want to communicate. Don't try and change me to make me better for you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, the, that's the drama. That's the conflict going on in that. Right. One of my all-time favorite movies includes uh, deafness as a major plot and character component. What's that? There Will Be Blood. Yes. Daniel Plainview's adopted son gets caught in an explosion on an oil rig, which renders him deaf for the rest of his life. It is basically the change of Daniel Plainview's and his family's fortunes. Mm. He uh, becomes insanely rich, but he is uh, sort of, you know, loses his connection with his son and doesn't care to get it back. Mm. So it uh, it's it's 
the driving force of the rift between those two characters. I can't say even after watching that movie as many times as I have, and yes. I love that movie. Like uh-huh. I really think there would be blood is Citizen Kane of the 21st century. Okay, because of the milkshake references. He does bring his milkshake to the yard. To this day, I don't really understand his motivation, like 100%. Mm. I have suspicions. I've yet to grasp with both hands onto why it creates his um, his ostracization of his son. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. There Will Be Blood was a movie that I watched and went, I really like that, but man, there's a lot that I don't understand going on. Welcome like to the Paul that, Thomas Anderson experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that. We'll be back when the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you'll want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being controlled by parasitic wasp lava. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter, at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Karen Stiles. Did we get the thumbs up and the finger? I believe, yes, we did. And, and, the, and the two fingers. All right. And uh, flipping the bird. Oh. And some wavy flying birds. <laughs>